All right, grab a seat. I'll get your handouts in just a second. Let's, um, let's pray and we'll get started, okay? We'll use this prayer uh, for the order of the Blessed Trinity from the uh, prayer upon entering. Let's pray. Thee, O God, the Father unbegotten, Thee, O only begotten Son, Thee, O Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, Holy and undivided Trinity, with our whole heart and mouth we confess Thee, we praise Thee and bless Thee. To Thee be glory forever and ever. Amen. That, of course, is uh, you know from the Orthodox tradition. You know it's Orthodox because stuff always rhymes, and that's nice. Uh, Lutherans aren't good at rhyming, but the Orthodox are. Uh, this will go, I, you know, I got it to you late last time, this will go to Russia, uh, and in particular to help out uh, Father Vitali, who is a friend of ours uh, because he's a Russian Lutheran priest over there. And I don't know, Pastor, do you know exactly what is cooking with him? I said tumor, and I... Yeah, so as we got word, and the word was, you know, he can't afford it, so please pray. Uh, so, you know, we're not, we'll pray, and we'll drop a little cash in. Uh, I'll set that right there. If you need, please fill out the uh, sign-in sheet, mark your name down. If you need a handout from last week, it's the exact same one. I've got that here. Anybody need one from last week because you weren't around? Okay. Dave, can you grab the, just a few people that need them? Rosenwinkel, Kovic. And the stuff we did before, uh, you know, that's, that's probably out of sight and out of mind at this point. But if you want some of that, it's still up here. The outline from a few weeks back, the uh, Reg Quirk bit. I will see Reg Quirk in just a couple weeks, actually. Um, Westfield House, if you don't know, they just, they just finished building a new uh, a hall on campus, Luther Hall, which is very nice. So hopefully that will be up and running by the, by the September. So Reg Quirk. Evangelical Lutheran Church of England, uh, the outline from a few weeks back, the Luther bit on good works, that was the good one where he said good works are a sacrament, uh, and then announcing God's grace, confession and forgiveness from ambassadors of reconciliation. That, as you know, was the base model for everything. That was the starting point, uh, but it's not the last word. So that's always good to remember, uh, and then it sort of kicks us off from there. Here's the thing. I mean, there aren't that many of you here because it is a holiday weekend, and I'm trying to kill a little time for Pastor Bruzek. Uh, so when you don't have many people and you're trying to kill time, what does a pastor do? Oh, well, talks. But if you're me, tell jokes. I'm a little surprised at how few of you laugh at my jokes. So you do laugh all the time. I was a little surprised again this morning when I said, what's the clown's name who's going to be here? Cool Beans. Yeah, Cool Beans the clown is going to be here. And I said, for any of you who want to be a kid again or for those of you who never grew up, and what do you all do? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If Nelson would have said it, what would have happened? Laughter. The vicar would have said it. Laughter. Bruzek would have said it. You all would have said, we're going to cut your pay. Uh, I say it, and you all just look at me. So at least you're not cutting my health insurance, but you're also not laughing. Um, so I'm just curious. I said to the, to the acolyte at 9 o'clock, I said, is it that I'm not funny, or is it that they're not funny? She just looked at me, and then Bruzek said, the right answer is, they're not funny. <laughs> so uh, I'm still a little concerned why no one laughs. That's, I've taken jokes out of my sermons, although no one even laughed when I said, Holy Trinity is the Pentecost, but New Year's Day is the New Year's Eve. You either need a good nap or a couple of Advil. And again, you all just sat there like, 
wrap this thing up, Gainick. So, um, it killed four and a half minutes. After, yeah, I mean, it's, it is stunning to me. The eighth grade banquet last night was great, but it went three and a half hours. Now, when I preach for more than 10 minutes, you all, compl you all complain. I can remember when I first came, back when I came, <laughs> people used to say, you don't preach long enough. We, want, you know, we pay you this amount of money. We want to hear a sermon for 12 or 13 minutes. Now I go 12 or 13 minutes, and I can see people in the first pews, no, no lie, going like this. Like, when's he going to end? So, Kirby, that's about all I got. <laughs> My wife's not here to... What's that? The setting makes a big difference. Yeah, the setting, so does alcohol. So, uh, which, they didn't, which they didn't have last night, although the vicar had a great prayer. He prayed for the food and the wine, and they brought out punch. Uh, I'm on a roll. I'm really starting, the spirit is speaking to me right now. That could be. Well, just get to the new space. We'll do that, too. All right. Well, I, you know, I could tell jokes all day. I don't have that many more, but I could string them out. Long pregnant pauses and stuff. Um, do you have any questions going back to the last few weeks? Anything you've been dying to ask? Anything you don't understand? Here's what often happens. You all catch me at, you know, after the morning Eucharist, or you'll say, let's go have a beer at Muldoon's, or let's go have a coffee, and you sit down and say, okay, I love Bible study, but I have no idea what you meant when you said dot, dot, dot. And what I want to say is, ask it during the class. <laughs> so are there any questions you've got, things you really don't understand? This could be a very good cleanup week. If not, of course, we'll keep going, but I don't want to get too far down the road because next week, if you know 50 more people show up, then you're all going to be here listening to the same thing again. So do you have any questions from the past few weeks? We started with, you remember, uh, you know, repentance into confession, into forgiveness, and now on to restitution. And we looked at all the biblical texts, we looked at all the confessional texts. We looked at Luther. We looked at people today. I gave you everything so that no one can walk out and say, well, he didn't try and cover this. Okay? I mean, we tried to cover everything. So that you can see restitution is a key theme all throughout Christian history. This is what Christians do. You know, Luther has a great line where he says, when I urge you to go to confession, I'm simply urging you to be a Christian. Today, he might say, when I urge you to restitution, I'm simply urging you to be a Christian. Okay? Um, so, any questions about any of that? I mean, there's no possible way that you all understood everything and are okay with it. Yes, he did. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to lead my sermon this week by saying I wasn't here last week. I was out playing golf. Uh, <laughs> this is rough. Right now, Abby would be in the back saying, just stop. I'm glad she's not here. She would, uh, I'd get a lecture at home about this. Uh, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, well, if you have no questions, really, honestly, you're all okay. Yes, thank you. This is a charity question, but I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we sort of, I mean, briefly touched on it, um, but not maybe not in the detail that we do with other things. There are some sins that you don't know about um, or that other people don't know about, so you never get called on or you never feel guilty over. That's why at the liturgy you confess, you know, uh, in the TLH liturgy you confess, 
I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Well, within that, there are some things you don't know. Um, but if you don't know it, it's very difficult to make restitution for it. And in fact, there are some instances where restitution can't be made. But remember, the primary reason for restitution is to square things up on earth. So there are some sins against God that can't be squared up here. And there are some sins even then against your neighbor, which nobody really knows about. It's just you having a bad day. You never get called on it. You never feel guilty over it. You confess it. You're forgiven. And restitution, um, in those instances, you know, the Lord kind of says it's all going to be okay. But restitution is really person to person. When you know you've sinned and someone else knows you've sinned, and you've come face to face with that. That's why we start with Matthew 18. You lead to forgiveness, and then you move in restitution. So if it's not, a, let's say this, if it's not a Matthew 18 issue, if someone doesn't come to you face to face, it's very difficult to know you need to make restitution. Yes? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be the right Lutheran answer. There are sins of commission, what you do, and sins of omission, what you don't do. But there are sometimes you even do things that you don't know you've done. Did you have something, George? You okay? Yes. Yes. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. There are some times where you don't know what can be done, but if you just live like a Christian, it's all going to square up in the end. And I think part of what's been misunderstood, I said this to the women a few weeks back, you know, uh, we read a Luther bit, and I, it may be in one of the handouts I gave you, but we read a Luther bit where it said something like, uh, Luther says of himself, when I suffer, the whole community suffers. This is a very important thing, because when do you often think about suffering with other people? What's the circumstance? Usually. If you say, that person is suffering, so we're all suffering, what's usually the circumstance? Illness, right? Yeah. You see someone, you know, a long-time beloved member who's suffering, especially when it's visible, it's cancer, you know, or pick your thing. Um, what happens? The whole community says, we're suffering with that person. However, you also suffer with people when other people sin. And, and I said this to the ladies on Friday, it's more than just suffering with them. Because we are, as St. Paul says, one body, there's no distinction between you and you. In the grand scheme of the Christian church, yeah, you're all individuals, you all have jobs, I get all that. But in the grand scheme of the church, you are the body. It's a singular body. So what happens to part of the body happens to all of the body. When one of you sins, and, I, and again, we need to, to a certain extent, you've got to distinguish between just regular, having a bad day, and blatant, willful sinning. And the scriptures do that. I mean, even, even James talks about that, and the epistles talk about that. There are some sins which are, uh, greater and more damaging than others. And of course, your Roman Catholic friends would call that mortal and venial. And you all say, ah, we're Lutherans. Well, guess what? James says the same thing. There are some sins which lead to death, mortal sin, and there are some sins which don't lead to death. So these are, these are sort of the grave sins that happen all the time. It's not just you wake up and you have a bad day and you come in and you're kind of grumpy. That, you know what, that can be forgiven and we don't need, sometimes we blow things out of proportion. If you have a bad day, it's not a Matthew 18 issue. If you tell a lie, that's a Matthew 18 issue. 
So what we need to remember is when one person sins, it's as though the entire body sins. And when one person is forgiven, it's as though the entire body is forgiven. And what I wanted to push you to a few weeks back was when one person makes restitution, finally the whole community makes restitution. And this is the reality. I mean, I'll just tell you, the reality is so long as people are unrepentant and are not forgiven and refuse to make restitution, this community can't go forward. It just can't. Because that goes against the nature of a body. If we were all individuals, if this was a club, and Pastor Bruzek said it two weeks ago in his sermon, if this was a club where you all paid your dues, you all could do whatever you wanted and it wouldn't matter to anyone else. I'm still going to get court time on the tennis court if I pay my money. Right? Here, we all have to play on the same tennis court. And that, that's the sadness. So what happens oftentimes is someone has sinned gravely, or it's a Matthew 18 issue, and they refuse to make restitution, or, or refuse to repent, refuse to be forgiven, refuse to make restitution. What happens? Community is fractured. And what happens to the person who sinned? Oftentimes they do what? They go someplace else. And I think, you know, I hope you take this in the best possible way. There is some healing in that. There is some healing in that. And I know many of you have had broken relationships and broken friendships. I understand that. But if people refuse to make restitution, it's better for someone to go to a different community and be happy and be part of the body in all of its fullness than to stay in a community and be unforgiven, unrepentant, unrestitutioned, because that'll destroy this community. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and sometimes they are shunned, uh, and sometimes they shun others, <laughs> right? It's funny how, how people who have sinned, you would expect them to be the shunned ones. Oftentimes, though, they're still shunning others. It's a very strange thing. Exactly. Part of that's because sin, sin nowadays isn't public. You know, in the older days, even in the Lutheran Church, if you had a grave sin, everybody knew about it. And as painful as that can be, that is helpful, <laughs> Because that makes you not want to leave. Everybody can care for you. Today, people go around and we don't know what anyone's done. We just know that there are sort of these abstract sins floating around. They're not concrete and tangible. Yes, Holly. Yeah, right. And I, I, I was thinking of that, but I thought I was going to that very sermon, so. That's all right. <laughs> I have no idea who it is, so. question. The question, you have really two questions. One is, what happens when you're the third party and you go to someone? The other question is, what, when, what happens when you go to someone and they don't see things the way you see things? So the first part is, um, it may be better, it depends on how much the sin has affected you, although it may be better if the person who's directly been sinned against goes. That would be more faithful to Matthew 18. Okay? But again, you know, there's got to be some flexibility here. If it's rigid, if it's legalistic, it never works. So the flexibility is we're all the body, and again, more broadly speaking, it still affects you. So the first part is Matthew 18 is really face-to-face between sinner and sinned against. Sinner and sinned against. 
And then, of course, if that doesn't work, then you can bring in some other people, and you were indirectly involved, and you probably would be a good person to bring in and pick your thing. But the other question is, what happens when you engage someone, and that person says, um, well, I don't quite see it that way? That was a sermon for this morning, which is um, perception, or uh, when people are caught up in evil, they can never see reality for reality. And I went very quickly at 7.45, and I tried to slow down at 9. So if you were here at 7.45, and I have no idea what I did last night. Uh, I was too excited for the, for the banquet. I thought there was going to be wine. I mean, the vicar prayed for it. Uh, but keep going. I know. You notice people are starting to laugh a little, though, right? And now that I talked about it, it won't happen again. So uh, when people are caught up in evil, they can't see reality for reality. So when your friend, whom you went to and said, you did this, and they say, I don't see it that way, guess what? That's a matter of perception. So what will ultimately see you through if there are two different perceptions on an issue? What's the only way to get through? Well, yeah, the Lord, but more than the Lord, because the Lord's, yes, his word, and so you need something that's concrete, tangible, and that's ultimately true. And part of the problem with everything we've experienced is people have gone to each other, even very well-meaning people. Matthew 18 things. You sinned against me, I'm going to come to you. But when we engage it, it is, well, this is how I perceive the situation. Guess what? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So the only way to engage that is with concrete, tangible truth. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what you did to me. This is very difficult. And if that person still says, I perceive something different, then you really don't, you don't have a leg to stand on to move through that. That's why you bring more people. It's, it's hope that with more people speaking more truth, all viewing the same situation in a similar way, objectively, that that person will be convinced, but it doesn't always work. Well, well, that's that 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 hasn't. I mean, that has, let me say it this way: that hasn't always been our practice. Uh, uh, no, I think. Again, it, it depends on the situation, but um, if someone has sinned against you and you go, and they, don't, they say, I disagree, you probably want to get two or three people who are very objective, meaning not your father, who's an elder, you know, probably not your husband, but people who are very objective but can read the scriptures also objectively. And you can go and say, here's what happened, here was the situation, here's how I read the text, how do you read the text, this is how I read the text, can we all go and try to win our brother back, as Matthew 18 says. So here's the thing. Look around the room. They're probably sitting in here. Joe Hansen, realignment man, no name group, right? Because here's the thing. If they're not in here, they're not prepared to help you out. And I don't mean help you out by defend you. They're not prepared to do what Christ does. And, that, and, the, and the sadness is, in our past 18 months, people who have engaged in reconciliation primarily have not been people sitting in this room. So what does that mean? It's not going to work. Unless you know objectively what Christ says, you can't be engaged in Matthew 18. And then from there, then you, know, then you take it to the whole church, and that, that we're, we're a little scared about doing. Yeah.
Yeah, very much so. Yeah, if you go if you go in with people they you know they dislike, um, it'll it'll be a non-starter. Yeah, and that's why the church is set up with elders and older folks. And, I mean, our smartest, most mature spiritually people should be people in the joy group. That should be it, because they've been around longer. They've seen stuff like this happen longer. They've been to the Eucharist more. Those should be your most mature people. You should also look to your elders. You should look to people who you see in church every Sunday. Because if you're, if you're an elder and you're a faithful elder, you should be pretty objective. And thankfully, that's what we've got. But yeah, you're right. If you bring one of your buds, done. It's not going to happen. Yes? Right. Good question. Everybody hear it? Okay. Question is, if you've been hurt deeply because of a sin, and again, we again, you can be hurt by other things, but sometimes you're hurt by your by yourself, by your own perceptions of a situation. But if you've been hurt by a sin, and you feel as though going to that person may not resolve it, but you're angry and you pray for the anger to cease, has, does that mean you've sort of, you sort of made, you know, squared things up? Yeah. Can I ask you a question back? Sure. If, that really was a, a sin, um, especially a sin that hurt you deeply. If you don't go to that person, are you loving them or hating them? I'm not trying to trap you. I'm actually asking, yeah. I'm actually asking a live question. Because the reason you're not going is because you don't think it'll resolve anything. But ultimately, let's say I was the person who sinned against you. And you said, I'm not going to go to him because I know he's not going to listen and it's not going to resolve anything. Make me more angry and what am I going to do? Do I still have that sin? Yes. I have that sin until I confess it. And, and frankly, I have that sin until I square things up with you. So if I still have that sin, regardless of what you think, so long as I have that sin, I'm killing myself. And so uh, this is why from very early on, I mean, I hope, you, I hope you can see how everything's coming together. From very early on, we said love is action. Your emotions say this isn't going to work out very well. But love says... I'm going to engage it because when I engage it, I love that person. And and the and that that I mean, that's a thing people today don't understand in the world. If you tell me, Pastor, you've sinned against me deeply and hurt me very very badly, the world would say well, you're an unkind person. Jesus says, thanks for loving Pastor Gaming. So when you engage it, you love them. It doesn't mean it's easy. When you engage it, you love them. And once you've engaged it, then it's up to them and, the, and Christ working in them to square it all up. If you try and try and try and there's no response, that's not on you. If you never try, then it's on you. Okay? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Dan?
Yeah. Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dan makes a good point. You have to, I mean, we always talk about it liturgically. You have to feel the room, right? You have to feel the room. You have to, you have to feel the room when you're, when you're going to square something up. Very much so. Um, but the, remember, the longer you wait, the longer they live in that. So it's not, um, if I say something to you today that you say, boy, that was really mean, you don't need to call me tonight at home and say, unless it, you know, it was irking you and you can't sleep, you might want to make a phone call. But, you know, if you wait till Monday, it's probably going to be okay. If I stole a thousand bucks, you might want to catch me today. So are we making a distinction between things? No, we're making a distinction between ones that, um, ones that come from having a bad day and ones that come from living in unrepentant sin. If I, if I don't say hello to you in the morning when you're an usher because Claire was up all night and I'm exhausted, you... No, I know you didn't. You might, you might be a little offended by that, but that's probably not a sin you need to call me about tonight. No, 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 yeah. That's me. That's not you. But, yeah, exactly. But, like, if I steal your keys and take your car later, you probably want to call me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave a different one in place of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let me go here to Jack, and then I'll go to you, okay? Yes. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah, completely agree. That's why, yes, um, his, his question was, if he's got a friend who's very, very angry, and even outside the church, when he prays for him, that doesn't diminish his friend's anger, but it oftentimes will diminish your anger. And that's why, you know, here's the thing. Jesus is a smart guy. And he's also a smart guy about just relationships. I mean, he's not just some abstract God who sort of zaps you when he wants to. He knows what it's like to live in a city. He had neighbors who weren't good neighbors. They didn't clean up their animals. They didn't. I mean, he had all that. So there's a reason Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, return no one evil for evil. You know, love those and do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. There's a reason he says that, because he knows that when you engage in that, there's no possible way that your anger could keep up, maybe to the level that your friend's is, is at. Um, and the other thing is, While we talk about the world, people who have been broken in a church are oftentimes the most angry people you'll ever meet. Oftentimes even angrier than people who have been hurt in the world. Because the stakes are so much higher here. Think about everything you've got to lose in the church and everything you've got to lose in the world. In the world, what you've got to lose, your car, your house. Your I mean, that's all important stuff. But in the church, your friends, your Eucharist, your communion, pick all the stuff you've got here. And that's why the great sadness for me is, and I'll just talk, I'll talk about pastors. The great sadness is when you meet pastors who have been beaten down their whole lives by congregations and 
right or wrong. And what happens when they're in the 60s and 70s? They are angry. And they're angry. They can never say a nice thing about anyone. They're pastors. The reason is they've lived a whole life where they've been battered, and there comes a point where you just turn into an angry human being. And guess what? Once you're there, it's very hard to be taken out of that. I know a lot of pastors that die as angry pastors because the church can hurt people so very deeply. So we have to remember, while in the world it hurts people, in the church, be extra careful not to hurt people. Because if you're angry in the church, you will never come back. So we have to be mindful of those sorts of things. Uh, let me go to James, and I'll come to you. Go ahead. <laughs> My perception is. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you're, I mean, you've got to think about this even in your own families. This is a family. When your kids do something horribly wrong and you call them on it. I mean, I can remember my own father, who was a very, pi who was a very pious man. When I would do stuff that was inappropriate, the thing he always said was, you know, I say, why, why are you so upset? Because I love you. You know, this is not how we live. This is not who we are. And, and part of the problem is, and I hate to keep saying problem because I think we've worked out a number of these things, but part of the problem that started all of this was, a misunderstanding of love. And when people had sinned and people came to them with those sins, what was the reaction? You're not loving me. Because to the world, love is you don't ever say a mean thing, you don't ever call someone out on it, you can do what you want. We need to, in some sense, I don't I want to say, I don't want to say redefine, reclaim the biblical understanding of love. Jesus on Good Friday is love. That's not pretty. We need to reclaim that. We need to be a community who loves people by action. And I just don't mean calling people out on sin. I mean going out into the world and doing what Christ has called us to do, feeding the poor, giving clothes to the naked, all of those sorts of things. And maybe that's where we start. I often say to people who are very angry, they say, what should I do about this? I say, go work at the soup kitchen for a year. You can't work at the soup kitchen and still be angry. So that's part of it. When you engage in love as action, your whole life is transformed. Uh, yes, let me go here to uh, Dave, and then I'll go back to you, Bill. Yeah. Good point. Very helpful point. As you pray for people, um, 
as you pray for people, it's funny how the Lord works things out. He sort of uh, enlightens you on how you might engage that person better or love that person more fully, right? Um, I'm thinking, I was, as you were talking, I was trying to grab the, uh, the litany. I'm not quite sure where it's at in here, but there's one section, a great section, a whole petition, where it prays for our enemies and those who persecute us. And we don't often think of the church that way, because when you think of your enemies and those who persecute you, what do you think of? The world, yeah. Yeah. Taliban forces, pick your thing. I mean, I, you know, we can talk about that. I would, I would rather say, um, let's let the government do all the good they want to do, and we do more. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> Although you don't look very old when you're up there spackling over at the other place, I'll tell you. Yeah, right. Yep. Good point. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, remember, you can't engage people who have sinned against you unless objectively you know what's been done. Um, so everybody can have perceptions. We can have misperceptions. We all see situations differently. If you see a car accident today and we're both standing there, we're going to see different things. But at the end of the day, that's why everything has to be redirected back to Christ and to his word. So what does he say? And where does it say it? And what was the sin that was committed? And I think you're exactly right. The way this, this, this can't be clinical, like, okay, now here's Matthew 18. Come stand in front of me. Go to your brother and look him face to face and say, you know, you have sinned. That's not how it works. This is moving and this is live and you're real people. You're not robots. So we have to be able to feel the situation, feel the other person, and actually be ready to acknowledge the fact that some people do have a bad day. And not everything that happens is sin. One of the, one of the great criticisms of the pastors um, when AOR was here, was that, you know, we were all a variety of things, unloving, unkind, pick your thing. And what AOR helped us realize was, just because you have a bad day doesn't mean it's a sin. I mean, we all have lots going on in our lives, many good things and many bad things. It doesn't mean everything's a sin. So I think, I think that's a very helpful point. You got to know what the sin is before you go in, and you got to know that they're a real person with real feelings and real emotions. And This is in real time. And so you can't take this home and just sort of study this and say, if I do A, B, and C, everything's going to work out. Sometimes it gets bollocked up. Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. That was a question I was hoping somebody wouldn't ask. <laughs> but, it's a, but here's the thing, but it's a live question. Uh, people who leave, who've never been reconciled, um, how do they receive the healing they need to go on to another place and be happy and fruitful and successful? And I don't think, I don't think someone can ever leave a congregation when they've been caught in sin and not repented and not been forgiven and not made restitution. I think it's, I shouldn't say never, because the Lord can do anything he wants. I think it's very difficult for people to leave a congregation and go on someplace else and be all the things they wanted at their previous church. I think that's very hard to do. And I think the root cause of that is because they never squared things up back there. And, and you notice this with people. Uh, I mean, just look at your own family. I have family members who have left various churches. Oftentimes they leave churches for a reason. They say, here's why I'm going. I don't like the pastor. I don't like the worship. I don't like, pick your thing. Ultimately, the reason they're going is something has happened, usually. A sin has been committed or committed against themselves. The strange thing is, when they leave, oftentimes they're just as upset and just as angry at the new place. And so you have to look at the situation and then say, what's the common denominator? Well, they left this place because they didn't like certain things, and they went over here that they thought would make them happy. But they're not. What's the common denominator? They are. And so that, that sort of gives you some insight into if you're unwilling to square things, the best thing is when someone, no matter what the sin is, if they say, I've got to leave this congregation, but I am very sorry, and we say, gosh, we forgive you and we love you and we hope you're happy at that other place, they can go off and flourish. If we never have that conversation, it's very difficult to flourish. It's like anything else. Like if you have a bad marriage and you think getting a divorce and getting married to someone else will square it all up, it's hard. It's, that's hard to do. Yeah, Joe. Right, right. And that way, when another congregation receives them, they know these folks are all square. Yep. So there's no problem on the table. And yep. I can see them flourishing with someone. Yep. So if he leaves without a seat for relief, there's just some unfinished business yeah. or whatever that is. And I don't know if you still do that or if I described it right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we do. Um, there are a couple difficulties. The difficulties are. I mean, we, would, we go even as far as, we, we like to talk to people who, who are on their way out. Not, not because we want to fight with them or argue. We just, I mean, what did we do wrong? What could we do differently? How could we move forward? I mean, that's just how you learn. The trouble is, oftentimes people aren't always willing to talk, especially if it's been something that kind of blew up. I mean, if you're moving to Colorado, you're happy to come in and tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, whatever. So oftentimes we hear it third or fourth hand, you know, two or three weeks later through the grapevine. They kind of say to us, uh, you know, we're going to go here because we like the worship, and then we hear three weeks later, well, we thought this happened, or this happened, or this happened, or this happened. So the trouble is, no one is, is um, it's very difficult for people to sort of be honest and upfront with reasons for leaving. The other thing that makes this difficult, and this is a pastoral thing, is that there's not the same collegiality among pastors that there used to be. 
So uh, what is one man's sin is another man's grace. So in the good old days of the Lutheran church, if you had a member who had blown something up or stole 100 bucks from the offering plate or whatever, and you didn't give him a peaceful release, that pastor at the other church would say, hey, pastor, what's going on? You know what? This, this isn't good. They need to square things up. Nowadays, in, in the broad church, I'm talking even bigger than the Missouri Synod, the craze is for members. The more members, obviously, the more successful. So it's difficult for a pastor to say in real time when they're trying to make budgets and pay payroll, we're not going to take this family. So that's the other end of it. You're right. It would be great if we could work through things. And I get, I get calls from pastors, and probably Pastor Bruzik does more often, but I get calls from pastors where they say, I've told this family to come back and square up with you before they join. And we say, great. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But yeah, that could be our practice. At least as a, as a church, we could say, I forgive you, go on your way. That'd be great. But people aren't always willing to admit, one, they've had an issue, <laughs> and two, pastors aren't always willing to say, this isn't, this isn't best for you spiritually. Yeah, Byron. I, I completely agree, yeah. And, and sometimes people just aren't strong enough to do it now. And, and we pray for them and we love them. And yeah, you're exactly right. Let me take one more question. I've taken a few years. Can I take his? Is that okay? I'll take yours and then we should probably be on our way. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, the question is, what, what's the take on sort of praying against your enemies? The, David does it, um, but David was a much smarter man than I am. Uh, and I would be, and Jesus does it, although Jesus does it very rarely. Uh, my, I would err on the side of praying for your enemies and not against them. You have to be absolutely certain that that person is an enemy. And not only, not, not an enemy to you, an enemy to Christ, uh, before you pray, though. So I think... David could do it, yeah. Uh, Jesus can do it, yeah. Am I going to do it? Ooh. Boy. Because guess what? I might be praying against myself. That's the scary thing. If you're always praying for your enemies, you might still be praying for yourself, but that's not a bad thing. So uh, pray the Psalms. And here's the other thing. Pray the Our Father. Pray the Jesus Prayer. As long as you're caught up in the normal rhythm of Christ's words to his own Father, our Father who art in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. When you think you're angry and you can't get through it and your blood pressure is through the roof, I'll give you an assignment. Pray the Jesus prayer, you know, 50 times. And I know that's strange to Lutheran ears because it's repetition. Just do it. Just do it. Pray it 50 times, take your blood pressure again, and it'll be lower. Okay? There's no way you can be saying what Jesus says and still be angry. As David Scare said, he was here a couple weeks, God has no enemies. He has no enemies. We have no enemies. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just keep saying it. And, and you know, the, the Christians in the East pray that same prayer, and they do it so often that they say, they do it without thinking of it. You actually say it as you breathe. It, it, with every breath, you say the prayer. So your entire existence is caught up in the Jesus prayer. You can't go wrong if you do that. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Just Google the Jesus prayer. You'll see it. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, yeah. 50 years ago, would your pastor have said, just Google the prayer? No. Just Google the Jesus prayer. You'll find it, okay? All right, thanks for being here. Uh, next week, I promise, we will get back into the, to the outline. This is good. If you have more questions, bring them back, um, and we'll have a go at it next time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks for coming, folks.